Hi, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Randa Matiri, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. We're going to talk today about complicated mallet injuries. You know, we, we talked in the past about what kind of splints to make and how to deal when they first come in, but sometimes things don't go so well, and we don't always get them until things have gone poorly. So what do you do with that patient who just has this nagging lag and they're not happy with it? You know, positive, acceptable outcomes are five to eight degrees short of full extension. What if they're 20? What do you do? Like, what's your what's your go-to? So Miranda, what do you think? If you have a patient come in and they've got this long-standing thing, what do you, what are your, what's your response? Yeah, my first thing is to find out what their goals are, right? Because 20 degree lag to some people might not be a big deal, right? So I, I think first is identifying the goal. And I'm guessing in this case where it's your patient, it's their goal because they're returning to um, seek or they're seeking out more treatment for them. Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, are they going to get much better? Is it going to keep, you know, is it is the tendon a little bit attenuated? Um, how long did they wear the splint before? Before is it a bony mallet? Is it a soft tissue mallet? So those are the questions I'm wondering and asking at the same time. Yeah, I start wondering if it's attenuated or is it ruptured whether it's a, uh, an avulsion or a rupture of the tendon, because if you lose terminal tendons insertion on the extensor tendon side, then FDP on the flexor side is unchecked. And so it will begin to pull down into a contracture. And I've had doctors refer someone to me and say, hey, this patient, they, they suffered a mallet injury weeks and weeks and weeks ago and are just now coming in and it's stuck. It is stuck into flexion. And so then we've got to start looking at like a serial progressive splinting plan to try to get that to relax and not get stuck in a joint contracture with molar plate issues and all that. And then maybe they look at doing something about a surgery later. But yeah, sometimes that FTP becomes a complicating factor. Yeah. And then how long? So if they're really attenuated like that, do you start the tendon protocol over? Are you saying, okay, we're going to do another six to eight weeks of immobilization? If they have not had any intervention yet and they haven't already tried that, then I feel like it doesn't hurt to try it as long as they can be compliant and they're on board with it. Like if this, if I introduced and like, yeah, let's do it. Then I feel like it doesn't hurt. If it's someone who's already been through that and it was unsuccessful, then I'm much more leery about initiating that because we just beating the same drum. Right. And then, like I said, the age of the patient, you know, is this like osteoarthritic changes, right? So a lot of times our, some of our older patients or even those that have had injuries, they have joint changes and they're already going to have a leg regardless of the status of that terminal tendon. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had doctors give patients the options of, you know, if, if you're not happy with it, we can fuse it. We can, well, then I think, okay, what position do you fuse it in? Typically a functional DIP position for fusion is round about 20 to 30 degrees. If that's what you're lagging to, but you still have flexion activation beyond that, then why would I put it at just 20 to 30? And that's all you ever have. At least you got some functional movement. So I'm, I'm a little leery to fuse it unless it is truly flexion contracted. Yeah, you'd probably just leave it, I would think. Yeah. And then I think another complication, this isn't the case with yours, is where they end up with a swan neck. Yeah, then you're chasing your tail a little bit. That gets tricky. What is your response on a, on a swan neck like that? Um, usually if I, I think that it's, um, a secondary problem from the mallet, right? Like, you know, those bands have started drooping down volarly or, um, because there's not enough tension on them, then I might, 
uh, or excuse me, going dorsally, I said volarly, but if those lateral bands are going dorsally, then I'm thinking, well, is that because they've had an unchecked mallet for a while? And so like the natural migration of the, the bands is going up. So if I'm, I'm thinking it's that, then I think, well, if I correct the mallet, then a lot of times I think the swan neck will correct itself. And I have seen it correct itself. But if it's a more severe case and, um, it's been going on longer than I would say, you know, a few months, and I'm going to probably do something at the PIP joint as well. So I'm going to extend the DIP and flex the PIP and hold them there. And depending on how progressed the um, swan neck is, that can be quite a bit of time to reorient and recentralize those lateral bands. If they've really collapsed dorsally, it can be quite a bit to get those to repair. And it may be just something they wear a functional splint for the foreseeable future, just to prevent that joint collapse and, and a longer term problem. Right. Cause we know if swan necks progress too far, then you lose flexion, right? You're not able to flex the PIP anymore. And that's a huge functional limitation. So I think we really want to make sure we address that right away, but making an, a splint that corrects a mallet and a PIP hyperextended is I think not always easy. It is tricky. It is complicated. And it's something I usually reserve for those patients where it's, it's obviously not bilateral. Like some patients come in and they just hyperextended the PIPs and that's just their resting. So I'll look at the other side. Okay. Maybe it matches. I, it's not my job to fix what's their normal anatomy. Um, I, I try not to chase that because that splint is a complicated one to make for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you can do a mallet with an ovulate or a silver ring, um, or there's some cheaper silver ring options you can get. You don't have to spend the 110, right? I think we've yeah. all found those like knockoff ones that are 20, $25, which seems like a more feasible option than the silver rings, which you're not going to, because you're not, hopefully you're not going to need the splint long-term. Hopefully you need it, you know, three, three months or so. Yeah. That and I sense. find that one piece splint that is for both DIP extension and PIP flexion to counteract the uh, the swan neck is hard to put on while following mallet precautions. It's almost not possible to put on by yourself one-handed. It's a very tricky thing to keep that in extension at the DIP while sliding it on. And it, you're, it is just fraught with potential for that DIP to collapse down while you're putting it on. So I don't use it for the acute patient unless it's a, a huge necessity because they've collapsed significantly at the PIP. Yeah, it's, I think it's a complicated problem we want to be aware of, make sure it's not getting worse. But I also think oftentimes if you correct the initial etiology or the, of the problem, you're going to fix the swan neck. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've got a patient now who was pinned for eight weeks, um, came out of the pin and instantly dropped back down. And the doctor said, well, let's just send you to therapy and see what they can do. And she comes in, maybe not so compliant with everything, um, comes in with a 20 degree lag leaves after some work to activate and, and work on tightening that EDC up a little bit and leaves it like a minus nine, minus 11, somewhere in there, comes back the next visit and is a little bit more droopy. And so are we chasing our tails or would she be getting worse if we, she weren't seeing us kind of resetting each time? So it's a tough one to know. Like she wants to keep trying for a little while. So we've kind of set a marker. Let's try for this much. And then we'll try for this many weeks. And we're kind of setting some realistic expectations, but some specific time frames to to measure our progress by. Yeah. And then at what point are you telling her, Hey, go back to the, like how, you know, if, if it's getting that much worse, how bad is it before you say you're going back to the doctor? Yeah. And, and in this case, the doctor said, come back to me if you want a fusion. Okay. So, so it, yeah, it was a, so even if it gets way worse, you're still, 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the doctor's thought process, and I don't disagree with this, the doctor's thought process was, you've got a lag, but it's functional grip. If therapy can't fix it, and you want it fixed, the only tool she has left in her toolbox is fusion. So the patient then needs to decide if therapy didn't resolve it, does she want to live with it or do fusion? Because that's the only tool left in their toolbox after doing a pinning. And ultimately, you splint for long enough and they end up with an internal fusion. So, it, you know, it's you kind of create that. Yeah, that's a good point. And then you're also making changes to, you know, their motor cortex with prolonged splinting, right? So we're yeah. changing their brains a little bit too, so... Yeah. Skin integrity issues, all of that. So we don't want to do too long of splinting. You just end up causing more problems. If you're not making forward progress, you could be making complications. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully that's helpful. We don't necessarily have answers for all of the questions out there, but it's good just to have a discussion and to kind of hear some other people's perspectives on it. Let us know what you think in the comments, uh, what you like to do for those chronic mallet fingers. And then if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us through our email, info at Hand Therapy Academy or on any of our social media platforms, Hand Therapy Academy.